Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to another edition of New Books in Systems and Cybernetics. I'm your host, Tom Schult, from the University of British Columbia. The word control, with its seemingly instantaneous mental associations with forms of top-down oppression, is one that makes even some cyberneticians nervous, and is often downplayed in contemporary descriptions of the field. Perhaps this is one reason why William Power's fundamentally cybernetic perceptual control theory, or PCT, has, in recent decades, continued its substantial development outside the disciplinary boundaries of cybernetics proper. But in fact, PCT stands as one of the most robust and fully developed strands of the cybernetic legacy, which, through its impact on psychology via the development of PCT-grounded method of levels therapy, has had a tangible influence on a mainstream field not something that can be claimed by all that many developments in cybernetics since its heyday in the 1950s. Richard S. Markin and Timothy A. Carey cut right to the heart of the nervous-making matter with the title of their 2015 book, Controlling People, The Paradoxical Nature of Being Human, from Australian Academic Press. In my conversation with co-author Richard S. Markin, we get comfortable with the notion that, as Powers put it, behavior is the control of perception, and that controlling is quite simply what we do all day, every day, from being able to sit upright in a chair without collapsing, to completing our everyday tasks at work, to maintaining our sense of ourselves as the kind of people we would most like to be. The good news, delivered by Carrie and Markin in clear, highly accessible prose for the general reader, is that if we take the time to understand the hierarchically nested control systems of which our psyches are comprised and bring their operation into our conscious awareness, we can take great strides in avoiding those facets of control that bring us into uncomfortable and at times destructive conflict with ourselves and with others. So without any further ado, let's turn to my conversation with Rick Markin. Rick Markin, welcome to New Books and Systems and Cybernetics. It's great to have you here. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to join us. Thank you for having me. Um, we will begin, as is traditional on the Newbergs Network, by just asking you to tell us a little bit about your background, particularly the journey of uh, study and practice. Uh, you've been very much uh, an applied um, control systems um, theorist and, and, and other things as well. Uh, and just your journey, um, your academic trajectory, your life trajectory towards the engagement with perceptual control theory uh, that has led you to write this book and, and the many others that you've authored. Okay, well, let me give it a try. I think I should start. Uh, uh, I, I, I'm trained as a, uh, a conventional research psychologist. I got my PhD in the electrifying field of uh, perceptual acoustics, <laughs> and um, and uh, and went and uh, got my first job at a small college in Minneapolis. But before I left, oh, I got my PhD at UC Santa Barbara, and um, let's see. Oh, and so uh, before I left for Minnesota, not knowing what I was doing, <laughs> I've been in Santa Barbara. Um, let's see. Oh, so 
before I left, I was roaming through the library at, uh, uh, on the campus at Santa Barbara. That's what you used to do instead of uh, surf the net. I would uh, I would stroll through the library and look at see what the latest books were. And I came across this book with the title "Behavior: The Control of Perception," and that's uh, and that really jolted me because I'd been trained to, to think, uh, if anything, that perception was the uh, the cause of what we did. Um, so. Uh, so the, the title intrigued me, and I took the checked out the book, read it, didn't understand much of it, <laughs> but uh, I knew it was uh, there was something. It was written so well, and it was uh, the, the guy seemed to know what he was talking about, so it, it made an impression on me. But and that was in about 1974, 70, yeah, 73 or 74. The book had just come out. I didn't know that. I'd never heard of the guy um, in, in psychology. And then uh, I went off to Minnesota and just did my standard uh, professor of psychology routine, um, teaching basically everything at the college uh, in the psychology curriculum. And um, I was kind of also their point man for developing their computer system at the time, which was an they wanted to use uh, online computers at the to do that. So, but anyway, I was there for about three or four years when uh, one of the faculty there had found the same book. Uh, uh, Power, it's by William T. Powers, and they found his book. And uh, she she was a uh, Skinnerian psychologist, and and she she gave it to me again to to ask me what I thought of it, and that's that's when it started. So that was in about 1978, and um, and that, so I, I read it, and I, I still was having a hard time with it, but coincidentally, at that same time in 1978-79, Powers himself had written an article in Psychological Review, which is a pretty high-level journal in psychology, um, Describing the uh, the relationship between his this what was still then just called control theory, um, the relevance of it to uh, uh, to understanding human behavior, and it was it was quite a revolutionary, extraordinary article, and he was saying and he was describing things that were kind of amazingly um, non intuitive, and. Um, and at the same time, 1978-79, I happened to have friends who were living in Palo Alto at the time. It's, and they were teaching at Stanford. I had high-level friends, <laughs> and they were at, and they were and, and I went up to out to visit them this that summer, and they showed me this thing called a little tiny personal computer. It was uh, and it, you know I'd been working on machines like uh, that you know were you know, refrigerator sized things. And they were showing me these, these computers that were like on a little plate size. <laughs> and, uh, and you could, you know, they were kind of limited in what they could do, but you could, you could do stuff with them. And so, uh, and it turns out, oh, and, and so uh, they also had this thing called a, a, an Apple computer. So that was a little bit more capable computer. And, um, and it turns out that I was able to, uh, Powers himself had described some little demonstrations and experiments you could carry out 
using a personal computer. Personal computers were, of course, brand new at the time. And I, luckily, I knew how to program and do that kind of stuff. And so I, I got, I got the, uh, uh, when I went back to Minnesota, I, I, I ordered the first Apple computers that were ever used in the curriculum in, <laughs> in Minnesota. So, and, um, and I used that computer to start doing some little experiments to, uh, to test this guy's idea and also to help me understand what was going about. And, and uh, I was just, it just floored me because they, so what basically happened was uh, that I realized that um, uh, psychology <laughs> and that my whole field, what I'd been trained to do as a PhD was laboring under kind of a, an illusion that, um, that uh, essentially stimuli cause responses. I mean, they got fancier about it with cognitive psychology where, you know, they had uh, inputs coming in and grinding around in your head like a computer and then out came what you did. But that was just a fancier version of uh, what was essentially a, a cause-effect model of people. And, uh, and uh, so what, but what's actually going on, it turns out, is that people are controlling various aspects of the, their experiences. They're controlling what happens to them. And in the process of doing that, they have to act in order to counteract um, disturbances to those experiences. And it's and a person looking at that, looking at, when you watch a person just behaving, it looks like very often it looks like they are responding to stimuli. And and so and and I think because psychology had a philosophical bias to believe in to be to want to be scientific, and that implied that they had to believe that causes had effects and it all worked in a kind of mechanical way and the way they wanted to imitate physics um, uh, because of that they they just didn't see this uh, they, they didn't see the purposeful nature that's what control is control is purposefulness and um, and they developed and but uh, because of the the fact that control can look like a stimulus response they developed a whole science based on uh, varying what happens to you and then watching what you do. And um, so that, that just blew my mind. And, uh, and I started to do research in, on this, in this field, trying to develop demonstrations to show uh, what was actually happening. And, um, and it, it's very, it was very revolutionary and I knew it and I knew, you know, people, they would be, there would be resistance to it. And there was, fabulously intense resistance still is of course uh -huh. and um uh but um so <clears throat> let's see so uh, oh so okay so i'm teaching the conventional psychology at this lovely little college in minneapolis which i loved and um but i was i was doing this research which was showing that most of what i was teaching was really wrong or misleading. And so uh, uh, in, um, uh, in about, uh, let's see, I, uh, the, the, I got tenure and all that stuff. And I was, uh, the, you know, the, 
but uh, eventually I decided I just I just couldn't do it anymore in good faith, and so I I I, I left the college, and uh, I'd been doing also on the side I'd been working in this field called human factors engineering and doing consulting work. So I decided to move uh, my family and me. I, I decided to get out of academia because I, I just couldn't teach that stuff anymore in good faith. And uh, I went, uh, left, uh, went back home, <laughs> took the family. We, we moved back to California and I got a job uh, in doing human factors engineering at uh, Aerospace Corporation. So that's where Aerospace Corporation comes in. And, um, and uh, basically I was able to do things uh, in terms of my work at aerospace in term, with human factors engineering, which didn't cause me any conflicts with um, my ideas about how people worked. And uh, I was able to carry on. I, I did a lot of research at home just on, I kept up my work on control theory and did a huge amount of publishing. I, um, I did a little bit of, I, I, I'm very, uh, uh, not, I guess, cautious or shy about uh, pushing control theory, especially in academic circles, because it really just arouses huge amounts of hostility. And um, uh, so, and I didn't want to, and I didn't want to get anybody upset at, uh, in, when I was doing my work at, um, at aerospace, but uh, one time I did actually venture into seeing if uh, some of the ideas of control theory could work, uh, help out doing something called task analysis. Uh, they, the, one of the things we did at aerospace, we, uh, my job mainly concerned uh, evaluating uh, things that were necessary uh, in, uh, in designing uh, software, uh, human-computer interspace software for satellite controllers, but a, a big part of that job involved figuring out what the satellite controllers had to do to keep those satellites up, and um, and so one of the one of the things you have to do is uh, something called a task analysis, and uh, to see what what they do, what what the procedures are that. They have to do so. What kind of data they have to see on the screen in order to carry it out right, and those kinds of things. So I decided at one point we were having some meetings about developing some new software for um, a satellite control system, and I thought I would take the liberty of trying to see if uh, if using control theory, uh, the understanding of of tasks in terms of control theory would would help, and I, I did it. And so what I did was I we were conducting these meetings with with satellite controllers and asking them things that uh, that you would only ask if you understood control theory, like uh, what 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 variables uh, are you trying to control? What do you have to do, and what do you have to do if things go wrong? Um, and uh, and I developed this this uh, task analysis technique that was based on control theory and they loved it. <laughs> the, the, uh, the people who were doing this and who were being interviewed, it made complete sense to them. And uh, it was, uh, so uh, it turns out that if you're not a 
academic psychologist, control theory doesn't cause too much problems for you. And oh, and there's a, it turns out I also found out that there's another group of psychologists who aren't uh, don't uh, get hostile when you say perceptual control theory. I should say that we started calling it perceptual control theory to, to distinguish it from the control theories uh, that, that are also used uh, in psychology because uh, that don't emphasize the fact that what is controlled is your, your input, your perceptual input. Uh, those, uh, and so we call it perceptual control theory to emphasize the fact that it's with that when control theory is applied to living systems or people, um, you have to uh, see it as uh, what's, what, what's happening is you're watching organisms that are acting to keep their own perceptions in the states that they want it to be. So anyway, uh, but it turns out that the people, the other group that doesn't uh, seem to mind that understanding are, are clinical psychologists. Um, or, or practitioners, counselors. Um, and uh, I do have one anecdote about that that I, I, I share with when I, when I do this in class, which I now do sometimes. Um, when I was at the uh, it's, uh, Augsburg College in Minneapolis, where I taught, uh, my colleague and, and best friend there was a, uh, a Skinnerian uh, psychologist who was always kind of, uh, we, we kind of had a running battle. Uh, we'd have these, we'd do these dueling faculty lectures and stuff because, uh, and, um, but he was a great guy and very bright. And um, he was a terrific teacher and he had a great rapport with his students. And he eventually ended up going into, um, into uh, he got a, he got a license to be a counselor. Uh, he'd already had a PhD in, research psychology. So um, he became a student counselor. And um, after he'd been doing that for about uh, six months or so, he, we, we had offices right next to each other. And he came into my office one day and he said, Rick, I think you're right <laughs> about control theory. I said, what? What happened? And it's, uh, what happened was that he noticed that every one of the kids who were coming into with a problem, one at some point or another, they always uh, said something like, "I feel like I've lost control of my life," and, uh, and that's really what control theory is about. We are—it's about the fact that people are controllers and, and have to be in control of their their experience of what's happening to them, and they have to control it. And we have to make what we're experiencing be the same as what we want to experience, what our brain tells us should be what we're experiencing. And that's, that's what people do. And when, when they're not getting or able to get the experiences that they, they want, then they, um, they experience error, a, dif a difference between what's wanted and what's happening. And that feels like, well, <laughs> feels bad. And, um, and that's, but uh, that's out of control. That's you're out of control in that situation. So anyway, that's, that's it. So anyway, uh, so I, I've continued doing my research through my careers uh, in uh, academia and then in human factors at aerospace. And then I went into 
I left aerospace uh, when <laughs> I, I left aerospace when Bush became president because I thought I'd be spending all my time dealing with uh, missile defense crap and <laughs> I, I didn't mind working on those uh, satellite systems as long as they were defensive. <laughs> but yeah. uh, and so anyway, and and a lot of those satellite systems are great that we were working on, like GPS and uh, and the weather systems and all those kind of things were really cool stuff. Um, but when they started talking about satellites that were shooting down stuff, I thought, yeah, I'm out of here. So uh, I went to work at Rand Corporation as a human factors engineer. They were doing some stuff in the medical field and uh, and uh, and I used a control theory there as as gingerly as I could. I, I was mainly studying medical errors and uh, I developed a, a control theory um, model of uh, why 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 errors occur and uh, the, it was pretty good. Um, so that was my uh, my tenure at Rand, and then I uh, basically retired <laughs> um, to do to to focus on uh, uh, doing uh, you know control theory as much as I could. Oh, so um, why did I write this book? Um, and you've co-authored you've co it. Oh, I, I wrote it with Tim Carey, who uh, is a, a clinical psychologist and and is really a, a he's a, he's an excellent writer, but he's he's got the be he had I knew him to have the best grasp of uh, control theory of of anyone I knew, and he also uh, has really run with it in the uh, counseling field by developing this uh, therapeutic process called method of levels, which, which actually was, was developed by Powers himself. He, Powers first talked about this, this therapeutic uh, approach uh, to doing therapy, which is based on the idea that, uh, on the perceptual control theory idea that people control a, a hierarchy of different perceptual variables and and you know at, at times you can end up controlling for experiences that are inconsistent that you can have goals about things that require that you do two things at the same time that can't be done um, so um, and the and so the method of levels is a way of dealing with those kinds of conflicts uh, or uh, it turns out that all therapies, are aimed at resolving conflict. And the main thing about the method of levels really is that it, show, it shows the, what's, what's the effective parts, why all therapies work eventually. And um, so, but, so I got Tim on because I wanted to write a book that was, uh, that was not only about the theory and about how to understand people as being control systems, uh, because that's what's important to me is uh, I, I, I love the fact this, this this amazingly brilliant um, theory that uh, Bill Powers developed. Um, but I also, you know, it also I 
I think it has, it, it does have practical implications. Uh, it has practical implications in terms of their individual therapy. That's what Tim is there for. I also think it has implications for uh, developing societies that are more humane and civilized. And, and uh, I think, you know, and a lot of the things that you, you get from PCT, a lot, as people have known and talked about in different languages, but uh, are using different words for things. But, um, but I, I, yeah, I think uh, perceptual control theory can uh, make the world a better place. Um, it already is a better place than a lot of places, <laughs> like your place. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so that's it. So yeah, so the, the aim of the book, uh, I've, I've, I've not written, I, 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 wrote, I wrote a textbook actually, is the, the only other book I've written was a textbook in research methodology. I wrote that textbook in about 1980 as a way of getting tenure. <laughs> And um, and it succeeded, but it was it's funny because it's a textbook on on how to do psychological research, which was uh, and it turns out that I wrote it at a time when I knew that control theory said that that way of doing research wasn't correct. So I kind of it's a it's a major art of hypocrisy, I guess. <laughs> but. Um, a major work of hypocrisy, but um, but I I did it because I I was kind of in a transition period, and uh, so I wrote that textbook, and uh, the only other books I've written are really collections of papers that were already published, mainly collections of paper. So I wanted to write a book that would be that would that would be a. a, a an accurate description of uh, and an interesting description of perceptual control theory, and also would include uh, a, a dis, uh, you know a discussion of how perceptual control theory is used in uh, making uh, improving your own life. And so it's kind of a, it was going to be a kind of si combination uh, science and self help book, and uh, I think it's kind of achieve those goals. I think uh, Tim wrote uh, most of the, uh, the sections that had to do with, with therapy, though I know a little bit about therapy, but I'm not nearly as good at, at doing it as he is. And he, he knows a lot more about it in practice. And I wrote most of the stuff on the uh, theoretical stuff or the, um, at the beginning, but, you know, Tim knows a lot about that too. So he, made contributions to that. So yeah, it is a joint effort. So uh, this book does sit very nicely in that um, more popular science kind of genre. It's definitely uh, written for a, for a general audience as opposed to a specialist audience, which uh, I hadn't seen done in the world of PCT uh, previously. Um, you're having some fun with the title, Controlling People and the Paradox of, of Being Human, because you know where do we put the emphasis in the title? Is it controlling people or is it controlling people? And of course it's both. And uh, something that makes might make people a little uncomfortable with that idea of the necessity of being a controlling person. So can you say a little bit about the, the kind of fun the two of you are having with, with the title? 
Well, I don't know how much fun it was. I had a, a couple of publishers tell me that you, you just can't use that title. <laughs> um, and, and they were probably right. Uh, but I, I wanted to use it because I wanted to do it as a kind of in-your-face thing. <laughs> because people have trouble with that word control. And um, like when you, when you say that you're, you're interested in control theory, of course, the first thing people seem to think about is dictatorships and, uh, and uh, coercion and all that stuff, which is indeed control. And, uh, but, but so, so that aspect of control is a concern. So uh, I certainly, you know, I'm, uh, but control, so, but control theory isn't a, isn't a, theory of how to control people and, and but that's I think what people usually think that the uh, so uh, and I wanted to try to just put it in their face to say that well it turns out that you often think of control in a good way you you know control is also a good thing and so it uh, you know we uh, and so the examples I give are of in sports, you know, a pitcher with good control, but, you know, watching the Olympics, they were talking about control all the time, which was correct. They, they know that control is involved when you're going down that, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, I'm getting old. So the words even <laughs> <laughs> right, going down the slalom or going down the, yeah, yeah. going down the, slalom, the, yeah. the, the luge. luge yeah. Whatever they, yeah. Um, it's just, you know, at, you're controlling for being on this uh, track. That's exactly right. But what do they call it? The thread. But anyway, uh, so having good and controlling on your, on the board, everything involves doing these incredibly uh, skillful adjustments of your muscle muscle system to compensate for completely unpredictable changes in in factors. You know, skiing. My God, staying up on skis is uh, it. It requires incredible control, which means keeping your balance and your skis and all these variables uh, in the states that they have to be in for you to do something other than tumble down headfirst down the mountain. So, yes, this uh, so, so control. So I wanted to. Uh, so the title comes from my wanting to show, kind of communicate that control is both a good and a bad. Thing. <laughs> right. I really admire that you guys are so in your face with the title because, uh, of course, the great boogeyman word of control has been, um, you know, raising eyebrows since the the beginning of cybernetics. It's official beginning in the 40s um, as a science of control. And this notion that we immediately associate it with control over others, with the sort of anti-democratic idea and, and things that, that we obviously want to avoid, but that we don't. We can't get out of bed, walk around, feed ourselves. That these are all acts of control, uh, and that and then we now when we plug into this sense of this hierarchy of control systems that that powers developed and that people like you and and Tim Carey and others have developed, um, it, it's about effective functioning, uh, whether one's intents are good or ill, right? Yes, right, exactly, and um, it's it's a hard one to get by because you know and. Uh, we're just controlling all the time, and so whether whether the controlling is good or bad is a is a is an ethical judgment uh, that depends on one's own feelings about things. Uh, and uh, and 
ignorance around realizing that that is what is one what one is doing is what can lead to the problems that end up bringing someone to a, a psychotherapist's office to begin with is that these are these are these are action these are elements of control and not just being the quote unquote control freak in the sort of stereotypical idea but what are the what are the parameters of the way we experience our lives that we are seeking to control and when are as as you guys have have really laid out so clearly in the book the notion of conflict as being two different control systems within the hierarchy who have different reference values for the same thing right 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 exactly and 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 that also comes down to not only internal interpersonal uh, uh, interpersonal conflict, where, which is kind of what you're talking about, but also about the fact that be, I, I, this is something I like because we are all control systems because we all want the world to be at, at, in in certain states that we specify in our brains that they should be in. Well, that also leads to the fact that we. We have goals about the way other people should be. Other people are part of the world that we want to be. So all of us have a, have an inclination to try to make other people behave in certain ways, you know, which may not be the way they want to do it. We we always do that, and uh, but some people are a little higher gain about it than others, and and but that's the problem that because of our. This, you know, basically non non good or bad desire to have people behave in certain ways that leads to conflicts between us and other people. So that's that's the that's the real paradox that 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 gets me because we are controlling are because we're controlling people we want to be in control, but because we want to you know it's, there's some occasions when we, our desire to be in control our uh, our need to be in control creates our lo uh, loss of control. And that's when we try to control other control systems. Mm. And um, so, so actually controlling other people, I like to say arbitrarily, because uh, we, we do it all the time anyway, but controlling other, controlling other people creates conflict between those people. But there are also situations where when when controlling people is done, we can we can control each other, uh, and this is something I, I I'm getting bigger on. We can control each other with without getting into conflicts when we do it by agreement, and that's called civilization. Right, you, you and I are doing it right now. Yes, exactly. I mean, I uh, I am. I am controlling for trying to give you what you want, you know, in terms of the conversation. And I'm also controlling for, you know, not interrupting you, not doing a great job and or other kinds of things. I, I, I'm controlling, but I, I'm also, uh, well, I don't know. I don't, I, I think, uh, you're kind of you're kind of controlling me by asking me questions. I mean, I you're 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 you want me to say stuff in response to what you ask, and so that is. And I have a desire to control a. I have a desired perception that you are feeling at your ease. So this is where it can get into these benign things, right? Wanting someone to have a good time falls under perceptual control theory. I have a I have a reference value that says I want to be able to sense 
that Rick feels relaxed, that he feels my questions are intelligent, that I know what I'm talking about, that he's that I'm not interrupting him. So, right. you know, you know, wanting your grandmother to really like what you bought her for her birthday is an act of yeah. control. It's an act of control to the extent that you're trying to get something, your grandma's response to be the way you want it. And so usually those are quite benign because you're not going to, you, you know, if, if she doesn't do it, you're not going to force her. Yeah, you're going to take benign corrective action. Well, do you want me to exchange it for something else, right? It, ne- it never, the word control never, it goes to a default place of aggressive behavior. It can, but it is not inherent in the, in the perspective. Right. And it doesn't go to that place because most people who are civilized and decent people have learned to do their controlling to, to you know, uh, in a very cooperative way. There's a way to do that, or to a- interact with other people in a way that respects the fact that the other people are also controlling for stuff. That's basically, I guess, what it is. It's just, you know, just respect the fact that we are all controlling people, that we are all wanting certain things. And and that's why politics is so hard. And, you know, it, but I think, you know, the worst of politics is, is people who don't respect the fact that others have legitimate wants. So the part that people have a hard time getting their head around is, of course, the title of Power's book, and which is the mantra for perceptual control theory, uh, behavior is the control of perception. So can you unpack that a little bit? Because that seems to be a sticking point because people say, well, what do you mean I'm trying to control my perception? Aren't I trying to control the world? Aren't I, aren't I trying to control the external reality? So can you talk our listeners a little bit through the fine detail of what it means that it's about the control of perception? Okay, so that's that creates a lot of problems with I was actually, I got my PhD in the study of perception. So for me, when you talk about perception, you're talking about something that's not very, that, that is a representation of the real world. And it's, it, and it's not an illusion. There are perceptual illusions, but when, when somebody says perception to me, it means a uh, it means what I'm looking at right now. It's it's uh, it's this. It's the computer in front of me. It's the little stuff scrolling across. It's the it's the table I'm sitting at. It's the pictures on the wall. That's it's it's reality. Perception is reality. And uh, so I I think uh, it, what what Powers meant by uh, the title. It, he wrote it for academic psychologists, really. It's not a popular book. Um, uh, it's a technical book. But uh, what he meant was what, what people are doing when we see them behaving uh, from the outside. And that's what behavior, the word behavior just refers to the stuff people do or that organisms do. When we see them behaving, what we are actually seeing is an, an organism that's acting to make its 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 input its uh, its its representation of various aspects of the world be the way it wants to so so yes of course we're we uh, when we're when we're doing when we're controlling our perceptions we are controlling the real world uh, uh, controlling perceptions i'm i'm going to control a perception right now i'm going to la- lift the glass that's right next to me I am controlling 
a perception of the glass, but that's that that is the glass. That's all I know of it. I mean, physicists tell me that it's a collection of molecules that are, you know, all uh, bound together in a certain way and a lattice formation, all that crap. I don't see that. All I know is there's a glass here and it has a little bit of water in it and I'm changing its position uh, in my in my view. So, and, and, and that change of position is what I wanted. That was, that's, and so I am controlling for lifting that glass and that's control of perception. It's uh, this, this idea of this, uh, people get in trouble by thinking that there's a, um, well, I guess uh, it's true that uh, I guess the, the reason you use the word perception is perception, uh, our perceptions are of different variable aspects of the world. The, the world varies in terms of the colors of different places and in the shapes of things and in the distance of things. And But it varies in all kinds of other more complex ways. It varies in terms of uh, whether pr a person is... <laughs> Uh, saying something honestly or not. Uh, it, it, our perceptions are perceptions of aspects of that world out there. So, um, so we are, so control of perception, I guess, can say we are, we're controlling the aspects of the outside world that our, our perceptual systems, our eyes, our ears, and all that stuff are, are able to uh, determine. Uh, the, the field of perception is a very complex field and kind of philosophically difficult um, because we experience, uh, you know, we experience the world as the world. It's right there. But we know from the time of Plato, at least, that what we're experiencing is is only given to us through our senses. And so, um, uh, so you know, I think it was uh, the, the Bible says we see through a glass darkly. Is that biblical or Plato? I don't know. But, uh, but so the idea, is, so people know, or philosophers have known for a long time that what we are experiencing as reality is a, is a is a, a representation of what's really out there. We we'll, we don't know what's really out there. The the world, uh, the world that that is actually out there. The best we know of it is given to us by physics and chemistry. They tell us what's out there. What's out there are molecules and forces and this and that. But what we see are windows and doors and and all these other things. So and that's what we can control, right? We, we the necessity. Can, of that we can only control what we can perceive right, as, exactly. as power says. Right. Right. Yeah. And you've, only you've gestured, you sorry, you, you've gestured towards uh, some more uh, of the abstract stuff that's further up the hierarchy. So we should probably talk a little bit about the hierarchy because it's obvious, going to be obvious to listeners that, you know, okay, well, yeah, I'm picking up a glass and I'm, but that there's a hierarchy that goes up to, our perceptions about who we want to be as people. What does it mean to be a, a good professor, a good father, a good brother, a good sister, a good member of my society? So can you tell us a little bit about the hierarchy and how that works? The hierarchy is based, uh, you know, in order to control something, you have to be able to 
perceive it. You have to be able to represent it in your brain. And it's easy for us to say, oh, okay, yeah, if I want to control the position of the glass, I can see how the position of the glass is represented in our brain. But if, but we also control things like, um, like you say, like uh, our, uh, our, our, our goodness as a father or something. So in order to control how well we're doing as a father or as a parent, um, we have to be able to perceive that. <laughs> we have to be able to, and that means there, that means we have to perceive uh, aspects of, of uh, what we are doing to our kids, what are, uh, what's, uh, you know, so these are perceptions that are, are defined over quite long periods of time. They're not, you know, the perception of the position of the cup is right there, boom. But to, to perceive how you're doing as a parent, that's a perception that your brain extracts over quite a while, you know, averages over, you know, several days maybe. And so, and how it does that, it's amazing, but, uh, uh, you know. Uh, and it sets, because it sets the level for, it's these higher ones set the, the reference levels for the lower yeah, ones, right? So for instance, if my child is smiling, if my child seems happy most of the time, if the report card comes and it's good, if that, that there's all of these uh, lower level perceptions that feed up to that more abstract perception of I'm, I'm a, I perceive myself to be hitting the reference level of a good parent because of all these things about my child that I can't perceive. Of course, right. In order to perceive that, that's, one part of the hierarchy is in order to perceive yourself as a as a good parent or as a Dodger fan or as a whatever one of these higher level perceptual variables is, you have to those perceptions are based on lower level perceptions, right? Uh, you know the the color of the baseball uniforms and all that stuff. Blah, blah, blah. So you have to right the, the higher perceptions are built from lower perceptions, but they're built online. It's happening all the time. I mean, I am, I am perceiving that I'm doing an interview and that's a higher level perception. And that's based on all these, you know, the perceptions of the words and the, uh, all that stuff. So yes, so higher level perceptions based on lower level perceptions, but it's also true that those higher level perceptions are are controlled, the, the means of, of being a good parent is achieved, or I, I'm sorry, the perception of being a good parent is perceived by, by varying those lower level perceptions. Like, you, you, it's not just that you perceive uh, the smile on the kid, you're, you're also try, you're trying to do things at a lower level um, that are, you know, like uh, reading to the kid or telling them stories or whatever that that are that are are the means of trying to get that perception uh, that you're being a good parent so so it's a hierarchy of control systems so at each level the the systems at each level are are controlling for the the uh, the perceptions they want as the means of of the higher level perceptions that another person wants so it's uh, it's hard <laughs> It's it, uh, it's a it's uh, technically it's it's difficult to get all that stuff, um, but uh, yeah, it, I uh, I'm I'm thinking you know I I have developed uh, 
for example, little simulations of uh, a hierarchical control organization. It actually works. It, it, it does it. I've got a little spreadsheet simulation that will mm-hmm. control, you know, just uh, um, simple variables at the lowest level. And then it, it controls uh, uh, a linear combination of those variables at the next level. And then at the highest level, it controls a logical relationships between the next lower level. And it's doing all those things at the same time. It's kind of abstract, but it's, uh, if, you, if you know what's going on, it's extremely cool. It's a, the, the system which has um, three layers of control systems, six control systems at each layer, and each layer of control system is controlling a different kind of perception. It's kind of, kind of cool, kind of remarkable. Um, Can this be found on your website, on your mind readings yeah, website? Yes, yeah, it's, okay. in, it's in the demos part, my demos part. Okay, and and the, what's the URL for that? Uh, Pardon? What's the what's the name of the website so our the, listeners the can find it? The website is called Mind Readings, all one word: m i n d r e a d i n g s dot com. I guess it's c o m. And you've also recreated some of Bill Powers' original. Um, Somebody else uh, uh, actually did yeah. that and did a great yeah. job. A fellow named Adam Matic, who's a Croatian brilliant young kid, and he rewrote uh, Bill Powers' uh, demos, um, the the original demos in a JavaScript, I think, so they can be run on the web. So yeah, go to my website, go to the demos, do all the demos. Uh, uh, yeah, I really, I really encourage listeners to do that because if you're if you're grappling with this, this will give you very concrete notions of on the less um, abstract way. But when you see when you're trying to control for something, how your behavior is generated by that that controlling against disturbances yes. that are going to push something out of the acceptable range. Right? Yes, I, I, you, I think that's that's the way I learned to understand control theory is by doing these demos. Uh, some of them are more complicated than others, but if you if you st- spend the time, I, I think that's the only way. But but the, the, I think the problem with the demos is that they are fairly abstract. I guess people would call them abstract because they're dealing with very simple variables, not you know with a real mushy-gushy, real stuff that we're always doing in real life. So maybe they seem distorted. I, uh, my answer to that, problem is just to say that um, Galileo did some things where he rolled balls down planes and it seemed to <laughs> tell him tell him a lot about how the world uh, the universe works so that was- yeah and I think if people can get their heads around the idea that that is the lower level but that that's being controlled if they've followed us along the way and follow you and you lay it out in this book beautifully I mean I think you the two of you have done a wonderful job in making perceptual control theory really accessible for the general reader because if you can get your 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 head around the hierarchical idea that those little tiny perceptions you know if you if you're going back to the parent well I want to get my kid the right thing for their their birthday well, you got to go get it in your car and start in your car and drive to the right place to buy it and make sure you got your credit card with you. And all of those things that seem so far divorced from this abstract concept of being a good parent are all nested inside this hierarchical structure for, for, for controlling that perception. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. That's right. It's, but it's hard to do. It's not easy. And oh, I'll also tell you that it took me personally, uh, 
a long time, a heck of a long time to really get the idea that uh, complicated behaviors like playing chess or or being a parent or um, uh, or being some degree of honesty in your relationship with other people or or whatever the, uh, or but especially things like game playing or programming a computer or doing anything that we think of as complicated that those actually those also involve control of perceptions that the that that in order to to write a a, a program let's say or what let's see what uh, in order to yeah, in order to play chess, you have to be able to to control for yeah, have to be able to perceive things like a degree of control of the center <laughs> or or uh, whatever the other kind of heuristics in chess there are. You have to be able to perceive those things in order to to make them happen. Uh, I think that's a that's kind of a problem with uh, cognitive psychology is that they they um they succumb to that stimulus response idea and uh and and so there was a great work on on chess playing that was done by herb simon in the early in the late 60s early 70s where he actually got the idea that he knew that uh, chess playing was a was a purposeful uh, you know kind of activity and and his uh and the programs that he wrote to kind of try to the first programs that were chess playing programs were really are kind of purposeful programs and they're, they're trying to make certain things happen on the chessboard. Um, and yet when he did the research <laughs> on chess players, um, he, he framed the results of that research in, in a kind of a stimulus response way. He said that he, what he found was that expert chess players um, can can perceive uh, um, the the situation on the board, and that that leads them to make certain moves. In other words, the the the, the stimulus of the of the, the position on the board causes the the chess moves, and um, it's a, it's kind of funny. He, he had it right <laughs> when wow. he wasn't doing the the research, but uh, uh, so it's yeah. It, but you know, I, uh, my my interest in this uh, control PCT stuff has been mainly from the point of view of a, a research psychologist, which I think everybody. That's another reason I got Tim on board <laughs> because you know he he sees it from a much more interesting perspective. But you know, my my interest in it as a as a research psychologist was the fact that this this theory really overturn is truly revolutionary for scientific psychology it blows the the roof off it and uh, that people don't sit with that easily so it's been a kind of an uncomfortable little <laughs> run for me well your your book uh, a couple chapters of the book are going to be um, required reading for my acting students I, I'm uh, I'm in the Department of theater and film uh, and because the exact theory of perceptual control theory 
is completely, and I, I'm not the first person to point this out, is completely uh, isomorphic with the Stanislavski system of acting. I bet. I bet. Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. And I have those same difficult conversations with my students to get them to accept that they are controlling and that they are controllers and that and that acting is about control. And as your character, you are seeking the perception, but it's the, the, the isomorphy between the Stanislavski system of acting and perceptual control theory is astonishing. So again, here's another pragmatic zone where we don't have to adhere to certain rules of the scientific explanation. We find, well, what actually works? And you know, the results of the Stanislavski system of acting speak for themselves. They completely revolutionized acting in a way that is still uh, the dominant mode to today. So I don't want to take us too far down the road of my own research because this, this isn't about me. I think that's great. <laughs> but, uh, I, now I have another but, group that uh, <laughs> is not going to jump yeah. out, out of their seat uh, yelling at me. Uh, no. That's exactly how a guy like me who's involved, who teaches theater and film ended up hosting a podcast like this because of the revolutionary nature of this kind of theory and, and how, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the community of, uh, of, of acting, uh, has been sharing this exact same, um, or at least, you know, the Stanislavski community of acting has shared this same notion of behavior uh, um, for, for, for since the late 19th century. Yes. So it's, it's kind of astonishing. Yes. And I think it's also the, the similarly related to, uh, like, uh, in sports coaching and, uh, training and, and things like that, because you're actually asking people to, uh, to kind of pay attention to what they're experiencing rather than how they do it. Uh, so we're almost at the end of our time here. So we should talk a little bit about the mushy gushy stuff is, that you mentioned and that there is a certain self-help or self-awareness component to this book. You've got a, a chapter five is called Zen and the Art of Controlling. And you've got some stuff around how to resolve conflict and by what what uh, you and Tim Carey and his writings call going up a level. So can you just say to, to round off our, our time together, can you just say a little bit about what can we do with this awareness if we do... Uh, sort of grasp this as a theory of, of behavior and a theory that leads us to maybe what are some of the conflicts that we find either intrapersonal inside ourselves or with other people? What are some of the things that we can now do armed with this, this, um, this view to uh, make our lives better? Well, that's interesting. Well, one of the things I, I've found uh, is that, well, the, the, the method of levels, the idea there is when you, uh, we have this uh, this consciousness thing, which isn't very <laughs> well uh, d explained in PCT, but apparently it's there. And uh, when you have problems, uh, the problems that uh, PCT is relevant to are problems of conflict, I, like you say, intra, within yourself, or between you and another person. Um, understanding how conflicts happen from a PCT perspective, I think, makes it easier for you to use your own co uh, your own consciousness to do that uh, upper level thing, which means, first of all, becoming aware that you're in a conflict. That's the first step is to know that you are in a conflict. And then you can kind of use this uh, method of levels technique on yourself to try to go up and th try to figure out why I, I, 
you why are you having the conflict and and you know the why you're having the conflict is because uh, you want two incompatible things so you got to figure out what those incompatible wants are and then you have to go up again a level and uh, figure out why you want those incompatible ones <laughs> so um, so you can you, and I've had the experience of doing that I found uh, that uh, it, it helps in in to when you find yourself uh, feeling stressed and you realize that that's because you are in a conflict and that you are causing that for yourself in a sense, um, then you can start kind of taking a deep breath and and uh, at least <laughs> knowing that you're doing this to yourself and then trying to change your consciousness in a way that uh, I'm not fully aware of how <laughs> to right. make yourself feel better. The the other thing, but uh, the uh, but the the other thing that uh, would be is is nice is it also can be used in inter interpersonal conflict conflict between people, and um, those are really usually more obvious <laughs> when you're in them, and uh, and they're you know they they are caused by having incompatible wants in two different people. So you can't, the problem with those conflicts is you, you can't get the other person to, to change, but uh, you can uh, see that uh, the stress of being in these interpersonal conflicts um, usually come from yourself also, that, that you want something um, <laughs> that is incompatible with something else you want that the, the other person isn't doing. So I've, uh, I've found that uh, kind of doing whatever it is, that, that change in, in consciousness that you can do when you're in a conflict, you're uncomfortable and you're uh, with another person, taking a kind of a deep breath kind of thing and, and doing whatever it is you're doing when you go up a level can actually... Uh, make you feel better. It doesn't necessarily resolve the conflict as you can get conflict resolution in yourself when the conflict is completely in yourself, but you can resolve things uh, well enough so that you're not feeling horrible and, and you can uh, kind of keep dealing with the conflict in a more possibly more civil or more equanimous way on your side. Right. I mean, there's, you know, there's also conflicts, you know, if you're dealing with uh, like, a, you know, a Nazi who's trying to put you in a concentration camp, you know, there, there's no psychological way of solving that problem. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's just, that, that kind of control is the kind of control that nobody wants to have happen when, when somebody's trying to coerce you. And uh, I, 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 you know, I, the only thing I can say about that is we just have to learn to design societies where people don't want to do that. Um, but uh, that's a, you know, that's the that coercive control is, uh, is <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I hope that's, yeah. uh, that's my ethical position. <laughs> I think that PCT uh, can be, um, well, to excavate, 
things that we are trying to control that we are unaware that we are trying to control. And that's where I've found the most benefit of it. I've tried to integrate it with uh, work called Forum Theater that comes out of the Augusto Boal's Theater of the Oppressed, where you work with communities and individuals to 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 tackle and to unpack through various types of role-playing uh, high-conflict situations. And often in in unpacking the, the, the sort of uh, improvisations that people do, uh, one can shine the spotlight of consciousness up a level and discover that one is controlling for things that one is aware of, and that that is about that that is the barrier. It's it's hard to you know um, you know move your relationship forward in, in a in a sense of intimacy when you're trying to control for a f- sense that you can't you'll never get hurt, or it's hard to uh, you know make friends with people if you're trying to control for always being right. Or, you know, and, and it's, it's just uh, because we haven't talked about the reorganization system, right? Which is the idea that once, once this happens, the, the, the system can reorganize and actually it has the ability to change those reference levels so that you're not stuck in those patterns. Yeah. Right. I I left that out. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm, I'm. You're, you're doing this better than I am. you're right. I, the, the, I left out the part that, first of all, you said the, the really interesting thing is finding out things that you're controlling that you don't know you're controlling. Well, that's exactly what you do with MOL because that's what you're doing with conflict. You're in a conflict usually because you're controlling for one side of the conflict is controlling for something you don't know it's controlling for. So you just say, oh, uh, crap, I really want to, uh, I'm feeling crappy because I, uh, I want to, uh, because I want to get thin, you know, and 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 uh, and you, you don't know that that's stressful because you also want to eat. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a very simple conflict, but but you're right. Once you presumably once you've actually identified the conflict, you've identified the the things you're controlling for that you weren't aware of. That's when apparently that's uh, when I said the mystery of MOL. That's when the organ- reorganization system can presumably work on the problem. The, the idea of, of finding these things is to uh, using your consciousness, uh, becoming conscious of the, the sources of the conflict is a way of presumably guiding the reorganization system to work on the right thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're right. You're right to yeah. point out that the reorganization system is still the most mysterious part of what we're talking about here, that there's still much research to be done to sort of talk about, about exactly what that is and, and how it works. But yes, yeah. and I think that would be research that would have to be done by clinicians. I can't imagine any other way. In fact, that's uh, I, yeah, that's why I think uh, Tim's work and the work of people who are doing so-called applied stuff uh, could be really uh, beneficial to the basic science because uh Something's going on there, and we don't know what it is. But uh, I, I'm hoping we can actually use actors in this work too. Believe it or not, these are some I ideas that, I've been. I, you know, talking to you, I'm realizing uh, how it's just absolutely right. I mean, I, I, a lot of therapies are based on uh, acting out and things like that. But I think you're absolutely right. Uh, acting is a. I, I think that I never thought of this before, but I think it's a it's a perfect way of of making yourself go up and down levels of control to, you know, because, oh, yeah, I mean, making your awareness, I'm sorry, your consciousness go up and down levels of control. 
Well, um, fortunately, I'm I'm actually off to Manchester tomorrow to go meet with uh, Warren Mansell, who is uh, another guy you've worked with, uh, to to work on these very ideas. So hopefully, we'll we'll all be helping um, move this this area of the research uh, forward. Well, um, great, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You've been so generous with your time, and we've run over time because obviously this is a a particular topic of particular passion for the hosts. And I, I apologize if I've uh, done too much talking in, in this go round. Yeah, but well, and uh, I really am thrilled that you like the book. And uh, uh, I have one more question for you, which sure. is, what are you working on now? Uh, that's a good question. I always have. Uh, I, I I mainly. I'm actually trying to figure out what to work on now. Um, I really think that my main goal would be to try to write something uh, substantive and good about how uh, perceptual control theory would inform our understanding of how to uh, build societies, uh, how how controlling of, among people uh, is uh how it can be da- done skillfully. In other words, I'm going to talk about Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I'm sure the Danes have their own control issues. They're still oh, grappling boy, with they? Every place has its yeah. problems. I'm sure. You, you mentioned Canada, and obviously, there's a lot about our 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 social system that Canadians are proud of, and that we feel we're doing well. But there's still a ton of of room for us to do better too. But I think there's ways to move towards better directions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and the need for constant error correction, right? I mean, that's exactly. a fundamental always law of cybernetics, error. right? There, you're, there will always be error as long as we're in aware of it and continue in that feedback loop of error correction. Why is that true? We are always having to control. And I'll leave you with the last thought of that. One of my favorite things I refer to in my book is that uh, um, is a book called The World Without Us. Mm. Yes. Yes. That? Well, anyway, they had a they had a documentary a show about it once also, but uh, it's basically of what what the world would be like if people stopped being there, and it's all about the world would just crumble because people wouldn't be there to maintain it. We have to be always controlling for the keeping the roads smooth right. and, the, and the sewage systems working and everything. It's all about controlling to make. So yes, it's always error correction, and that's not only true with our physical systems, but with our social systems. Absolutely, absolutely, well said. Well, I will look forward to that book. That is, a, I think, a, a, an area where uh, um, you can continue to make uh, the great contributions you've been making to the field. That would be a, a book that I would look forward to very much. So, thank you very much for for joining us, Rick. It's been a pleasure, and uh, we hope to talk to you again sometime in the not so distant future. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Okay. Thanks.